All right, this morning we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday uh, at the end of the message. Currently, we are ministering uh, a series of messages entitled Faith for Financial Prosperity. And, uh, you know, sometimes we sort of take our way, our time, and we lead up towards financial prosperity. We say, we say you know, f- f- prosperity is not just financial, it's a lot of other areas uh, where we can prosper spiritually, we can prosper emotionally, mentally, socially, uh, and in a number of areas. But I thought, let's just cut to the chase and go where we want to go quickly. Um, and um, I believe that God wants to speak to us about financial prosperity. Yes, all the other areas of prosperity are important, um, but financial prosperity is what I believe God wants us to put on the burner right now and uh, to determine what the word of the Lord says, what is God's will for our lives, what is God's will where money is concerned, and I'm talking all the money that's in the earth today, what is God's will for all of that money, and how we can we play our part. So with that, I want to start again by reading John chapter 10, verse 10. In 11, Jesus speaking, he says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Um, But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So Jesus tells us here he died on the cross, number one, to give us life. Uh, And we said that that word life there speaks of Zoe life. It's the God kind of life. It's life absolute which includes eternal life, uh, but we don't have to wait until we get to heaven before we can enjoy this life. That life is available to us today, and indeed, if you're born again, you have that life within you. Then secondly, Jesus says that we might have it more abundantly, and we had a little look there at the original text, and it turns out that uh, he actually says that we might have abundance. Um, Bible translators tell us that literally the second part of that verse means that we might have abundance. And we said that Jesus did not come to give us eternal life, only to leave us poor, sick, and defeated, and in a mess. All right, so he wants us to have eternal life, and he wants us to have uh, abundant life. He wants us to have abundance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was poor, Um, Let me start again. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. And I'm just recapping where we were last week. We said that the curse of the law uh, is threefold. Uh, It includes, uh, we said it includes uh, the whole area of our sins, um, that uh, Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Secondly, Jesus took all our sicknesses and diseases upon himself so that we could be healed. And he also took our poverty on himself so that we could be prospering. We could enjoy abundance so that we don't have to struggle to pay our bills, don't have to live from the hand to the mouth, but we can have abundance. That is God's plan. That is God's will. We said uh, that uh, over the centuries and decades we've seen revivals in the area of salvations we're still talking about those three areas where christ has redeemed us from we've seen salvations uh, many revivals where multiple thousands and thousands of people get saved 
pockets of revivals here and there. And then in some instances, we've seen nationwide revivals where people just get swept into the kingdom of God. That's revival. We said that we've seen a revival in the area of divine healing, where we now commonly across the board in the body of Christ believe that healing is for us today. And many people are getting healed all the time. There's been a revival in this area. But one area that we have not seen revival is in the area of abundance. We have not fully seen a revival in the area of financial prosperity for God's people. We've seen pockets. We've seen certain people do very well and step into that whole area of what God has planned for every single one of us. But by and large, we haven't seen it yet. And that's why we are speaking about financial prosperity and about faith for financial prosperity, because we can't have faith for something if we don't have the word of the Lord on it, or if we've heard preaching against it. How many of you, just as a matter of interest, have heard preaching against prosperity? And I mean preaching against financial prosperity. Many of us have. We've been there. Uh, we've been there. It's why we're now setting the record straight and saying, it's not what religion wants us to know about financial prosperity. It's what God wants us to know. What saith the word? Hallelujah. What said the word? So let me just pray now as we launch out, uh, read the next scripture and uh, launch out from there and trust God that God will speak to us powerfully this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. That Lord, we lay aside all um, concepts uh, that might be cultural, preconceived ideas, religious ideas, uh, experiences that we may have had that are contrary to your word. And Lord, we just choose to be teachable right now. We're ready to receive your word. We're ready to be instructed. We're ready to have our faith build up to a new level. And we thank you, Lord God, for your plan and your purpose for our lives in all areas. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> Let's start then here in uh, um, the whole area of the next heading there on your outline. It says the great transfer of wealth. Uh, the great transfer of wealth. That's what we are speaking about here this morning. You know, the Bible prophesies about a transfer of wealth. And by the way, when we say wealth, we mean wealth, we mean money, we mean, we mean property, lands, houses, stocks, uh, anything and everything that has any value, it, it's in there, all right? The Bible prophesied that there's a transfer of wealth in the last days from the hands of the ungodly into the hands of of godly people. Um, now, in case you're unsure as to what a godly person looks like, a godly person, number one, is one who is born again, lives for Jesus, and lives according to the word of the Lord. That's a godly person. All right. Who are the ungodly? The people that uh, don't want to know God, do everything their own way rather than God's way, and just beaver away uh, as people do, just making money and more money and more money. You know, people. People sleep and rise up in the morning, go and make money and then eat and go to sleep only to rise up again to only repeat the process over and over again. This morning we're going to find out that uh, God has got a job for you and for me, but God's also got a job for ungodly people. Let me read to you here from uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, it says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. It's interesting, but, uh, you know, sometimes religion has taken some of the, um, some of the 
uh, truths that Jesus has shared in the, in the Gospels, in the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Um, and uh, they've taken that and they've said, well, well, why even think about tomorrow, you know, or, or paying bills tomorrow? Let's just, let's just not think about tomorrow at all. What Jesus really meant was not to worry about tomorrow, but we do think about tomorrow and we do plan for tomorrow. Religion wants us to live from the hand to the mouth. Just do a day's work, get the money so we can pay a few bills, and always we only just always barely a day ahead. And many people are not ahead at all. Many people are behind. If people were to miss one week's of their of their upcoming pay, that'd be a major disaster. God wants to deliver us from that and move us in into into an entirely new place. All right. So, uh, so much to say that when a person, uh, a righteous person, moves on from this earth, that there is enough there to leave. At that point, they've already helped their kids in various ways. At that point, they're leaving a, a good hunk. They, they're leaving a lot of stuff for their grandchildren because children's children is grandchildren. So if everybody always only lives from the hand to the mouth and when they die, there's nothing there. All right. So the Bible says that a, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So is it all right to save money? Absolutely. It's a godly principle. Is it all right to lay some things up and to put some things aside? Absolutely. It's a godly principle. So um, it says, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. The wealth of the sinner, the wealth, the, the money, the, all the goods of the, of, the, of the sinner, of the unrighteous people is stored up for the righteous. You know, ungodly people gather up wealth for themselves, but God says it is stored up for people who are righteous before him. So this is, if, if you like, just a prophecy about what's been to a certain extent and what's coming. All right. Let me carry on. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26 it says, to the man who pleases God, to the man who pleases him. How many of you know that you please God, that you're born again and you're living to the best of your ability according to God's word? We're the people who please God, all right? God's pleased when, when, when we take him at his word. God's pleased when we step out uh, on the strength of his word and believe. Uh, that's what God wants, all right? To the man who pleases God, God gives him wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless and chasing after the wind. Now this is Ecclesiastes. This is uh, Solomon um, speaking and he's kind of uh, verbalizing certain things. Uh, and in the middle of it all, he had a bit of a depressed moment here and there. And some of the stuff in Ecclesiastes is just not all that uh, bouncy, not all that joyful. But in the middle of it all, he's prophesying because uh, he says that this here, uh, what does it say? He says this too is meaningless and chasing after the wind. Uh, it is for sinners. Uh, it's a meaningless exercise for them. That's just as I said, they sleep and rise, uh, work, uh, work hard, make some more money, eat, uh, go back to sleep only to rise again, to go and eat a bit more, work another hard day, and just do nothing else but always just making money, making money, making money. All right. Um, and uh, it tells us here that God's given that very task uh, to sinners, which is to gather and to store up wealth because God wants that wealth handed over. What does it say? Handed over to the one who pleases God. 
Um, so when's that going to happen? Well, uh, we'll find out in just a moment. It's already happened. There's already been stuff that's gone on in this area where there's been a transfer of wealth from one person to another person, from one group of people to another group of people, from one kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. We've already seen that. And in a moment, we're going to ha have a look at some examples where that transfer of wealth, we've, got, we've already got examples there. So it's not like we're speaking theory. Um, but, but the bigger one is still up ahead. Um, so there's coming a time when ungodly people will be handing over their wealth to the people of God. Get ready. All right? Get ready and know what to do with it. God's got a plan for that money. All right? <laughs> In the meantime, they're working hard to gather and to store the wealth which God needs in his kingdom. God needs that money in the kingdom. You know, many wicked people are using their money for various to promote wickedness. You know, you look at various industries. You got the, the porn industry and you got the industry of killing the old and the infirm. And that's, that's all an industry. And, 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 uh, and, you know, Switzerland's become the money. Uh, should I say Switzerland's become the country that if people want to wanna have have themselves euthanasiaed. I've just thought of a new word, euthanasiaed. Want to have themselves blown away uh, legally, then Switzerland is the play to go. They've got a whole clinic there where they're killing four or five people a week. Uh, they pay, the, pay their money up ahead, they arrive, and the company takes care of everything else. Um, I mean, how tragic is that? Uh, so that's money being used for wickedness, uh, money being used for the promotion of unrighteousness. But God wants money used for the promotion of righteousness. God wants his money to be used for the extension of God's kingdom rather than the devil's kingdom. And uh, God's got a plan for that money. And you and I need to understand what that plan is and what it's all about. Some of you may have never heard anything like this before. But let me tell you, religion has done so much damage in the body of Christ where Christians have bought into poverty rather than buying into, your, into the abundance that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. Um, so uh, God's given them the task of gathering and storing up wealth so that they can hand it over to the one who pleases God. Let me read to you from Job chapter 27, verse 13, and then on to 16 and 17. It says, This is the portion of a wicked man with God, and the heritage of oppressors received from the Almighty. Um, and uh, we haven't got time to read every uh, word of the next few verses there, but it's basically saying that God's given uh, the wicked man a, a job, a task. This is their portion, it says here, um, the heritage of oppressors. What is an oppressor? An oppressor is one who gets people working for him uh, and pays them little money rather than to give them a fair wage. Uh, and then even what he gives them, he sort of connives and tries to push them down further and further. Uh, that's a wicked man. What is a wicked man? A wicked man or an oppressor is one who gets goods supplied to him, uh, who pushes down his suppliers and then sells it at the biggest profit that he can. Uh, we know what, what that looks like. Uh, you know, we got some multinational companies that do exactly that. Um, and uh, so there is the oppressor in the world today. Individuals, uh, companies, uh, private companies, public companies, uh, and so forth, just pushing people down and extracting as much money uh, out of the market as what they can to gather it up 
for themselves. It's as though he heaps up silver like dust and piles of clothing like clay. He may pile it up, but the just will wear it and the innocent will divide the silver. All right? The just will wear it and the innocent will divide the silver. Now, what we need to understand is the clothing today is cheap. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Clothing in general from what it used to be is just cheap. Like you can go and buy a t-shirt for, for like, uh, you know, for $5, $10 buy a t-shirt and buy, you know, just cheap clothing. Why? Because somebody has been ripped off at the manufacturing stage uh, so that somebody, some company can make a lot of money and then sell it on to us. But the point that I'm trying to make is this, that in Bible days, clothing was very expensive. And clothing was even a trading commodity. The people would store their wealth in a number of ways. They would store their wealth in grain so that there's a lot of food there. But I'm not talking about them, uh, food for themselves, but food, you know, storing wealth. Uh, they would store wealth in oil. Uh, and I'm talking edible oils, typically olive oil. Um, and they would store wealth in clothing. They would just have they would just have wardrobes of clothing, not to wear for themselves, but just to, to store wealth there. And if they'd sell that, they'd get a lot of money. And then they would also store wealth in uh, precious metals, uh, typically coins of gold and of silver. And with that understanding, if we see here that they will heap up, uh, what does it say here? It says, though he may pile up uh, clothing like clay. What is clothing? Clothing was wealth. It isn't today. Uh, but it was back then. Of course, you can still buy expensive clothes today, but back then everything was expensive as far as clothing was concerned because everything was handmade and even materials were hard to come by. It was all very expensive. This is one of the reasons why they tell us history, in history books they tell us that uh, in the old days a lot of kids would just run around naked all day uh, until they get to about age of puberty and then they start to give them a sort of shred of clothing to put on for themselves. Then fugitives and poor people, many of them were either fugitives were naked, didn't have money to buy clothing, uh, and uh, or they just have one item of clothing which was kind of some sort of a tunic to put over themselves, to cover themselves and to hopefully keep themselves a little bit, uh, a little bit warm uh, and so forth because clothing was just generally very expensive. So it tells us here that these ungodly people, the oppressor, heaps up clothing and heaps up silver like dust. But it says the just will wear their clothes and the innocent shall divide the silver. Have we seen that already uh, to a certain extent? But we're going to be seeing much, much more. To a certain extent, this is prophecy yet future. All right. Um, let me carry on. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We haven't got just one verse of scripture where we might, you know, read something into it and into it or bring something out of it that's not there. We got a solid case uh, as far as scripture is concerned for the transfer of wealth that we are speaking about. All right, so wicked people again are those who oppress their suppliers and their employees to make lots of money. They're piling up their wealth for people who are just and who are innocent. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 8. It says, one who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. What's that saying? 
it's saying ex exactly the same thing that we've already read in the last three passages of Scripture there, that wicked people, the oppressing people, are gathering up the wealth. They're making a lot of money by extracting, you know, usually usury is high interest and high rents and, 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 and high this um, from, from people and from other companies for that matter. And it says they're doing all, all of that to gather it for him who will pity the poor. So in order for us, amongst other things, in order for us to get in on that wealth, we've got to pity the poor. We, we've got to have a heart for the poor. We've got to have a heart for the underdog. You know, we got uh, we got uh, whole political parties that are saying, we're here for the underdog, but in the meantime, they're wrecking the country morally. Uh, I mean, how wrong is that? That this thing here, that righteous cause has become a vehicle to promote unrighteousness over here. Uh, and, and But God wants the church church of the Lord Jesus Christ to rise up and to reach out to the poor and to do something. Uh, and uh, you might say, well, why, uh, are we doing anything as a church? You absolutely, we're doing a lot of stuff. We are feeding and we are housing, housing 30, 40 people up in the nation of Bangladesh. And some of you are supporting kids up there with monthly contributions. And we, like if that support were to disappear, these people would, uh, many of them would either starve or they have to get into some other situation. Some of the women would have to go back into prostitution and some of the People were just all diffused, but we are looking after them and have done for several years now. So we're doing something for the poor. Uh, we're, we're helping people who are majorly in debt through our ministry called Christians Against Poverty. And that's all part and parcel. And that comes at a considerable cost to the local church, I might add. But as I say, your tithes and offerings are going towards that. We're helping poor people. So in other words, we as a church have got a heart for poor people. All right? And it's not just about... Uh, you know, it's not just about uh, uh, just always feeding poor people. It's about helping people to get to a place where they are self-sustaining, where they can trust God and believe God for themselves, where they're coming out from under the grip of the oppressors, you know, the credit card companies and the banks who just come down and the loan sharks and getting rid of all of these people so these people can rise up and earn a living for themselves and get some training under their belt and, the, and for some instances get some work ethic under, them, under their belt, so to speak, that they they can stand on their own two feet. I tell you, these loan sharks, these crooks, and these uh, criminals uh, are just, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not prime minister. Uh, I tell you what, I'd, I'd, uh, I'm not the police, or I'm not the judge. Uh, there, there, there'd be no mercy. There'd be no mercy from me for some of these people. I tell you what, just a crookery that goes on, charging over 100% interest over periods of uh, just a few weeks. People borrow 50 bucks and have to pay back 100 bucks. I mean, how bad is that? What unrighteousness that happens right under our nose uh, in this country and uh, just unbelievable stuff. So there's one who increases by usury and of course this is charging excessive interest and high rent on property and on, on lands and ripping off the workers. Uh, and they're gathering possessions for those who will pity the poor. James chapter 5 verse 3. It says, Your gold and your silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as if it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. For when? For the last days. Now, let me just give you a little insight here, a bit of background information in regards to James. James 
is the guy that calls a spade a spade. Is <laughs> the guy that hits right between the eyes. He doesn't flower things up. He doesn't pretty them up. He just tells it how, he, how it is. And he's now addressing uh, rich people, uh, the oppressors whom we have already spoken about for the last uh, 10, 15 minutes. Spoken about them, he says, you guys watch it. He says, you, you rich, he says, you weep and you howl. He says, because the day is coming when things are going to catch up with you. And, uh, and basically he moves on then into, into verse 3. He says, your gold and your, your, your silver is cankered. Uh, cankered is kind of, it speaks there of a kind of a rusting. Now we know that pure gold and pure silver does not rust, but it does tarnish. And b- back then a lot of their coins were made from pure gold or pure silver, so they heaped this stuff up and then they, it started to tarnish and in some instances uh, in certain uh, atmospheric conditions, uh, humidity and so forth and storage conditions and everything, that stuff started to corrode on them. And you know, like you heaped it up and it's already corroding on you. Um, and you know, sometimes rich people have got so much, and God is not against riches or people having riches, but there's two issues that God's against. Number one, God does not want riches to have us. God wants us to have riches, not riches to have us. And number two, God does not want us to acquire riches by oppressing people through oppression and through pushing other people down. It's one thing to drive a hard bargain, and uh, like I'm for that. If, if, if I go anywhere in the market, I drive a hard bargain, uh, and I enjoy that. It's sort of part of the fun of uh, getting a good deal. But, you know, there is a point where you can't go beyond a certain point and to uh, kind of, uh, dis- you know, people that are already disadvantaged and already poor, you know, to take the bottom dollar away from them just to get a good deal. So we've got to leave something. We've got to leave some fat in there somewhere for uh, other people that we're dealing with. And uh, so James speaks about them, uh, and in fact, he goes on to say, and we haven't got time to get into all the detail. He, in verse 4 and verse 5, he says, he says, the cry of your workers has come up to me. He says, you've ripped off your laborers, you've ripped off your workers. Um, and typically in Bible days, people would put in a day's work and get paid at the end of the day. Um, and uh, and, uh, and they would do like poor people, lift from the hand to the mouth. Uh, and that's why the Bible tells us uh, over in Deuteronomy, they were not allowed if they kept something in pledge, uh, like a tunic, uh, which a tunic was basically a mantle that they wore in cold days to cover themselves, and they would cover themselves with a mantle at nighttime. They didn't have blankets, uh, poor people, as we have them today, and duvets and various other things. And God says, do not keep that thing overnight. You give it back to him again so he can cover himself uh, and not be cold all night. So God's got a heart for the poor. We have a heart for the poor. But there are people who got rich by ripping off poor people. And, uh, and that's what God is against. And so God's not against riches and God is not against us having riches. God is against riches having us and God's ha- against us acquiring riches by ripping off other people. That's why the Bible calls it unrighteous mammon, unrighteous money. So once again, uh, the rich spoken of here in this passage are not Christians, but they were ruthless merchants and landowners who make profit by oppressing the poor. 
Um, in fact, in the latter part of verse 4, uh, he says, come on, he says, you guys that say, we're going to go to such and such a city, and we're going to stay there for a year, and we're going to buy, and we're going to sell, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. Uh, uh, you guys, he says, how about, how about saying, God willing, we're going to do this. And if God wills, we're going to do that, rather than just make, making money your main goal in life. Our main goal in life is to please God and to live for Him. And God wants to prosper us and bring money to us all the same. Praise God. So James is consistent with New Testament teaching in attacking the rich, not simply because they're rich, but because they failed in their stewardship. God willing, this coming Sunday, we'll be speaking about stewardship. I say God willing because I could say, that we're going to do this on Sunday and then during the week God speaks to me to tell to do something else, and then, like, like you know, I'm, I've kept my word. So, uh, you know, it's always God willing. Uh, this is what we're in our heart right now, but it's God's prerogative to confirm and to, to change and to, to rearrange. Praise God. All right. So uh, these are some of the scriptures that we're looking at that are prophecies regarding the end times. How many of you know that we are in end times already? Uh, we are in end times, but times are going to get more end as we get closer to the second coming. So if we're talking about end times, it's going to get more and more end the further along we go. All right. We know times all the time, but end is going to get more and more. Um, I know that that's not good English, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's going to get more end. Where would you get a thing like that from? Anyway. <laughs> Praise God. So I want to now talk to you about some examples that we can look to where we say, hey, God's prophesied about the future, but God's showing us examples of the past. This has happened before. And because it's happened before and because we have prophecy, we know that this is absolutely the word of the Lord and we know that we're stepping into a time when we can expect that to happen in our day. Number one, Pharaoh gives Abraham livestock and servants. Um, and again, we've only got a portion of Scripture there. I wish we had more time to delve into the nitty-gritty of things. But here in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Of course, uh, Abraham had already come out of his own country, which is, I guess, present-day Iraq, that area up there, came down uh, into uh, the promised, what became the promised land, into what they call, nowadays call Palestine, uh, and there was a famine there, so Abraham carried on and he went down into Egypt. Uh, verse 11, and it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, uh, this is his wife, and they will kill me, uh, but they will let you live. So please say that you're my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Um, so Abraham is like to, to, to arranging some sort of a, a scheme to save his own skin there. Uh, she was pretty. He is probably ugly for all we know. Uh, <laughs> And it came about when Abraham came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Um, and um, 
Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Who is Pharaoh? He's the king of, of, of Egypt. Like uh, He calls the shots. He, he is about a beautiful woman. He said, get her for me. And so they get Sarah, and she's in Pharaoh's house. And there it says in verse 16, Therefore he treated Abraham well for her sake. Did Abraham put up a fight when they grabbed his wife? No. He says, I'm glad I'm alive. <laughs> so they treated Abraham well for her sake and gave him sheep. Sheep. Sheeps. Plural. Gave him sheeps. Not just one sheep, but sheep. Plural. And oxen, that's already plural. And donkeys, plural. Uh, and male and female servants. Not just a couple of guys to work for him, but servants, a whole troop of them. And female donkeys, plural. And camels, plural. So Abraham... <laughs> Did very well out of this deal, let me tell you. <laughs> and of course, we know that uh, God ended up afflicting Pharaoh and his household and troubled him because he had the wife of a righteous man under his roof and was kind of, uh, you know, getting ready to incorporate her into his harem and everything else. Uh, and of course, he released her again. But anyway, here and, uh, and again, we haven't got time. So everything went well. Everything went well in the end. Uh, but here in, in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, it says that Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev. Um, so he's now leaving Egypt again, and he's got his wife with him again. Uh, he says he went up from Egypt, uh, he and his wife, and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So what happened here? The wealth of Pharaoh transferred to Abraham because God had a plan for that money. God already said, Abraham, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. Whoever curses you will be cursed. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Have you know that what happened here wasn't entirely honorable as far as Abraham was concerned? Abraham was like, how am I going to save my skin? He says to his wife, and, and you know, there was a bit of a sort of a a half-truth there, which is really a whole lie. But actually, she was his half-sister, uh, which we'll find out in just a moment. So he, he says, look, just don't tell him that you're married to me. Just tell him that you're my sister. Because if, uh, if you tell him that, that you're married to me and you're beautiful, they're going to kill me, and, uh, and, and you're going to be alive and, and everything else. So it wasn't entirely honorable, but the blessing of God worked in his life. You know, the favor of God was there, and he did very well out of it. And, you know, in the end, God restored him, his wife to him and, and, and sorted out Pharaoh and everything. And then when Abraham went down there, he might have done okay. But, man, when he came out, he, a whole company came with him. He just had livestock and, of course, uh, 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 sheep herders and, and, and cattle herders and everything. He was just uh, – and, in fact, at one stage we read that Abraham had 318 uh, trained servants in his house. These were all what we might call slaves today. Would have been well treated, but they were slaves. They, 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 Abraham owned them. He says, these are all my servants. Um, and had 318 males that were trained in war, trained to use weapons. So the man had a private army, for goodness sake. And, uh, and uh, he had all of this stuff to sustain him because all his servants didn't own anything themselves. They all, all ate Abraham's stuff because he had so much stuff, there was never any shortage of food and everything else. So, you know, when the blessing of God begins to manifest, just incredible things begin to happen.
All right, and that's what God wants for each and every one of us. So there's one example there. I encourage you to look at the scripture more in depth. As I said, we haven't got time to get into the nitty-gritty of it, but we have one case here where there is a definite transference of wealth from the hand of unrighteous Pharaoh who didn't serve God, though he feared God in the end, like he realized that things weren't going to go good if he kept, kept this woman. So he gave her back to Abraham. The Bible says he gave him stuff, silver and gold and, and uh, livestock and sent him on his way again. Uh, the second example that we see here uh, is Abimelech gives uh, Abraham livestock, servants, and land and silver. Kind of a similar situation. Watch this. Genesis 20 verse 1. Abraham sojourned from there towards the land of Negev. So he's a kind of a, 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 what we might call a nomad today. Just moving around a little bit. Uh, and settled between Kadesh and Shur. And then he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to his wife, uh, let me start again. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and he took Sarah. So we got a repeat going on here like you would have thought that by now Abraham would have wised up and Sarah would have said, hey, Abraham, what are you doing to me? <laughs> anyway, we, we don't know the details of all of that. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman that you've taken, for she's married. I've got good news for you if you're trying to go after a woman that's married to somebody else. You're a dead man. Okay? <laughs> Praise God. Don't know where that came from. <laughs> or you're a, a married woman, you're going after another man that, that, uh, that is married to somebody else. You're a dead woman. All right, so there you go. You're a dead man because of the woman that you've taken for. She's married, and the inference here is married to somebody else. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. Uh, but if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all that are yours. Uh, how about that, getting the attention of a man here, like the fear of God came on him, and he talked to all of his servants, and they're all freaking out. <laughs> and Abimelech, uh, verse 10, said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you've done this thing? It's like, what's got into you, Abraham, that you told us she's your sister rather than she's your wife? Um, and Abraham said, because I thought surely there's no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So as we said, you know, half sister. Um, back then they haven't got laws like we have today to prevent incest and so forth. Uh, and verse 14, Abimelech then took sheep, sheeps. And oxen, plural, and male and female servants, plural, and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. You know, it almost seems that when the blessing of God is on somebody's life, blessing singular, the favor of God manifests on somebody's life. It's like the, the guy can do no wrong and he just gets fatter and fatter uh, as it goes. And, you know, we talk about rich people. Sometimes they call him a fat cat. This Abraham is getting fatter and fatter as time goes on. And he's not even doing everything all that right. So this is, of course, no excuse for being sloppy, no excuse for, for scheming and cheating and so forth and, and, and such like. But some of the people say, well, I'm not that perfect and everything. God's not looking for perfection. God's just looking for willingness for us to do his word. 
and to make the best, walk in the light of the revelation that we have. That's what God is looking for. All right. And then uh, uh, Abimelech, um, uh, verse 15 said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. So in other words, Abraham, stay here. He says, that was honorable what you did. That was dishonorable. But anyway, stay here. Use the land. No rent payable. Just feed your cattle. There's no rent to be paid. And Abraham, like, is getting just bigger and bigger and bigger. It's the blessing of God uh, uh, manifesting in, in, in his life more and more. Settle wherever you please. And to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Pieces, plural. How many? A thousand. All right. Behold, uh, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men you are cleared. And so what have we got here? We've got a transference of wealth, first of all, from Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to Abraham. Uh, he wasn't completely stripped out, but that happened later. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Now it's king of Gerar uh, uh, by the name of Abimelech. He gives Abraham a lot of stuff, and Abraham is just increasing and increasing, increasing. Everybody say increase. See, increase is God's will for our lives. When the blessing of God, if we have got a heart for poor people, we've got a heart for God, we've got a heart for the kingdom, God wants to increase us. All right? And uh, so moving on from there, uh, the third example to look at where there's been a transference of wealth from the hand of a sinner into the hand of a righteous uh, person is uh, where Laban's wealth transferred to Jacob. I'll give you a little bit uh, background here, Laban was actually Jacob's uncle. Now we've had Abraham, we've had Isaac, and now uh, Isaac had two sons. One of them is Jacob, and the lineage, God's lineage, carries on through Jacob. He had 12 sons, and they became the nation of Israel. The blessing of God transferred from, from, transfer from Abraham onto Isaac. Isaac did very well. Uh, transferred onto Jacob. Jacob did very well, but Jacob, you know, the, the word Jacob means uh, a deceiver. He actually deceived his brother uh, and stole the birthright uh, from him, his brother Esau, who was actually the oldest. Uh, and uh, the, the birthright should have gone to the oldest, but Jacob deceived his brother. Um, and uh, But nevertheless, um, <clears throat> time came for, for Jacob uh, to, to, to get married. So his, his father uh, Isaac said to him, Jacob, why don't you go up to Haran, to where we all come from? Uh, and, and there is an uncle up there. His name is Laban. Why don't you go up there and find yourself a wife up there? And sure enough, um, sure enough, uh, Laban has got two daughters. Uh, one of them is called... Um, Leah, and the other one is called Rachel. All right, I don't want to get mixed up with Rebecca because that was uh, Jacob's mother. All right, so there's two girls up there. So he goes up to his uncle, and sure enough, there's two girls there, and he likes one of them. One of them is the pretty one. We won't mention the other one. And... Uh, and he says, uh, he says I'll, 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 so Laban said, all right, you serve me. Uh, for seven years, and I'm going to give you this daughter. You know, back then they had uh, they had dowry payments and different things they had to do, um, and um, and praise God that God's delivered us in Western society from that. I think that is of the devil as well. But anyway, that's a completely other subject. And uh, so he's up there, and he's now serving uh, uh, serving uh, um, uh, his uncle now serving Laban for seven years. Come the wedding night, uh, Laban the crook gives him the the wrong girl, um, and 
And Jacob wakes up in the morning and it's the wrong girl in the bed next to him. But because in the meantime, the marriage has been consummated and at least he had enough, uh, enough uh, integrity in himself to keep her. Praise God. Uh, but anyway, he said uh, to his uncle, he says, what have you done to me? He says, I thought I was serving you for seven years for this one and now you give me that one. And Laban being the crook that he was, he could see that the blessing of God was coming to his household because there's a, a man who's got the blessing on his life. And he says, look, he says, you serve me another seven years and I'll give you that one as well. Uh, so anyway, long story short, in the meantime, Jacob is wrangling, he's wrestling, he's rearranging uh, the agreement and everything uh, so that Jacob is like kept down because if, if a, a man is kept down, you can, uh, you can extort from him, you can push him around. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, if I get a little bit muddled up, you just bear with me. You know exactly what I'm trying to say. So, so here's the story. Uh, um, 14 years have passed. Um, Jacob has now got two wives, and he's got all the stuff that Laban used to have. It all transferred from Laban, who was an unrighteous man. Even though he's an uncle, he's still an unrighteous man. And all that blessing transferred across, changed ownership from Laban over to Jacob. And Jacob is now looking at Laban, and, and, and Laban's boys are saying, he's saying, that cousin of ours, he's ripped us off. Um, and uh, and uh, Jacob is saying, oh, man, things are not good around here. He said to his two wives, he says, I think it's time that we get out of here. So they're getting ready to leave. Um, and he's talking to them here in uh, Genesis chapter 31, verse 6. says, you know, uh, is Jacob speaking to his two wives. He says, you know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. You know, when the blessing of God is on us, you know, people can try what they like, but it's hard to, to rip us off. Uh, and particularly, if we listen to the Spirit of God, we know our way in and out of situations and so forth. Anyway, he says, uh, uh, if he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Jacob basically looked after the flock, um, sheep, and some were speckled and some were striped. And he says to, uh, to, uh, <clears throat> to Laban, he says, look, he says, uh, just give me the rarer ones, whichever the speckled or the striped ones are. Give me the rarer ones. You take the others for yourself. And Because Laban quickly ran and he took all those ones out of the flock and moved them away so that they weren't going to produce anything that would have come into, in, to, into Jacob's hand. And there's a whole story there that's quite fascinating, really, that no matter what the man tried, the wealth transferred across. Uh, no matter what Laban tried in, in trying to oppress his, uh, his uh, nephew and trying to rip him off at every turn, the wealth just transferred across. And, and Jacob says to his girls, says, you know that your father has cheated me, he's uh, tricked me, he tried to change my wages ten times. When things went this way, he went that way. When things went that way, you know, just all around, he says, but somehow, he says, verse 9, thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. So what, if, what have you got going on there? Laban was actually doing quite well. Uh, and he was doing better when Jacob turned up for, for 14 years, when Jacob was there, Laban flourished and prospered. You see, when you and I might go and work in a company, the company will prosper because we are there. 
We are the believers. We bring the blessing of God into that company. We bring, bring the blessing of God into that department. We, things are suddenly flourishing because we're bringing God into this place. And that's exactly what happened here in the life of, uh, of Laban. But in the end, it all transferred across into the hands of a righteous man. And so um, we have a third example here where God's done it before, God will do it again. Number four, and this is a big one here. Now we're not just talking individuals, we're now talking nations. Um, Egypt's wealth transfers to the Israelites. Moses, uh, rather in Exodus chapter 3 verse 19, God speaking to Moses and telling Moses, Moses, go back to Egypt and lead my people out of Egypt to a place where I will show you. He says, I am sure, verse 19, that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Which people are they? They are the Israelites. You see, the blessing of God was established with Abraham. It transferred on to Abraham's son called Isaac. And it transferred on to Abraham's son Jacob. In fact, the Esau did quite well as well. Um, and then it transferred on to, to Jacob's 12 sons who became the nation of Israel. And now we don't have an individual blessed. We've got a whole nation. Now, because they had a hard time for 400 years, the Egyptians were oppressing them and using them for slave labor. And in one night, in one night, all the wealth of Egypt transferred into the hands of God's people that God made up all of those days, all of those weeks, months and years and, and uh, centuries of slaving away. And God says, all right, you're going you're gonna to come out. And so here it is. He says, uh, I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it will be when you go that you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. Like, you know, your kids are not well dressed now, but that's all going to change in one night. Um, and so they plundered the Egyptians. And sure enough, in Exodus chapter 12, um, verse 35, this is one is pre, the other one is post, the other one is after. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. They had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. Who was Egypt? Egypt was the oppressor. Who were the people of God? They were the slaves. They were living from the hand to the mouth, barely making it. And in one night, God rearranged everything. The wealth of Egypt all transferred. And somebody said once that Egypt has never been the same again since. Egypt was a world power. It was like what they might have called, what we will call today a superpower. They lost superpower status on that day uh, because they lost all the wealth. And, uh, and these people are coming out with silver. In fact, what does it say here in Psalm 105, verse 37? That God brought them out with silver and with gold, and there was not one feeble person 
among his tribes. You see, there is three things that are happening right here. There is salvation. Because God says, I'll save you from out of the hand of the oppressors. Brings them out. There is healing because there wasn't a single sick person amongst all of their tribes. And Bible scholars tell us there could have been as many as three, four, five million people, not a single sick person amongst them. You imagine, in the nation of New Zealand, not a single person. We are what? Four and a half million people, not a single sick person. Imagine that. And then finally, the whole aspect of prosperity. Remember the three parts of the curse that we talked about? Uh, uh, spiritual death, uh, uh, sickness, and poverty. God's redeemed us from all of that, but God redeemed them, and he brought them out with silver and with gold. They had so much stuff to carry. They had livestock with them to help them carry all the stuff. And, of course, God has a specific purpose. I'm going to give you a little preview of next week. You know, somebody said once they went out into the wilderness, and there's no shops out there. They couldn't spend the money. There's no malls. There is no McDonald's to spend their, their money on fast food. And there is no warehouse to spend their money on junk or anything of the like. It's just, it's just nothing out there. And then God says to Moses, all right, Moses, it's time to receive an offering. We're going to build a temple. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, so this is the next deal coming up now. And we'll close with this. Number five, this is next. Everything else that we've looked at is past. As far as the examples are concerned, this one is future. We've seen examples in the past. There's been recent uh, uh, examples. I remember hearing the testimony of a couple of uh, men that were working for an insurance company in the United States, and their boss was just crooking them in the, in the, in the pay and everything else. And in one day, uh, the fear of God came on this man, and he signed the whole company. The company was struggling a little bit, uh, one might add. But in one day, the man signed over the company to these two brothers, and within a very short period of time, the company had traded out of debt and was doing extremely well. These guys were two poor workers trying to make it in life. And in one day, uh, the, the, the God moved on, the, on that company director that was crooking the boys and uh, signed the whole thing over to them and walked away and left them with the whole thing. So there's been numerous, like numerous, numerous examples where there's been a transference of wealth. We haven't just had four examples. There's like multiple things going on. So the end times transfer of wealth, and this is for financing the harvest of souls. Egypt's wealth was used to a certain extent to build the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness, to build that magnificent tent that was used as a place of worship to God uh, and to house the presence of God. Of course, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that you and I, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there is such a thing called the local church that needs a lot of money to be able to do a whole lot more in terms of reaching out to lost people, in terms of helping poor people, in terms of uh, just running programs and various initiatives so we can make a greater difference in our community, in our city, in our region, and in our nation. Uh, James chapter 5. Now, we've re read James chapter 5 before from verses 1 through the verse, uh, well, 3 and verse 4, where God was speaking to the rich people, uh, and he's now speaking, just swinging around, he's now speaking to the brethren. Who are the brethren? They are the brothers. He says he's now speaking to the Christians. Therefore, verse 7, be patient. Brethren, be patient. He says, you've seen the rich. You've seen how they increase and multiply. 
You've seen how the merchants have ripped off suppliers and how, how company directors have ripped off work, workers and everything and got really fat and rich out of all of it. You've seen all of that. And James says, I've got a message for these guys. They have heaped, heaped up treasure for the last days. And now he's speaking to the brethren. Uh, and this is what he's saying. Be patient, my brethren, until the coming of the Lord. What's that talking about? Speaking about end times. It's got to get, just get closer and closer uh, to the coming of the Lord. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently until it receives the early and the latter rain. Now, it's speaking there. James is using the example there that a farmer relied on rain to be able to sow seed in the in, in the beginning of the season and some more rain to be able to harvest uh, the, the, the crops at the end of the season. And, uh, and, and James is using that example that God has given us the former rain of the outpouring of the Spirit and there's a latter rain of the outpouring of the Spirit and it's already happening. We're going to see more and more of it. And he's using that example that God the Father is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, for all the souls that are everywhere, where somebody needs to go and share the good news with them, where somebody has to reach out with them, where somebody has to help poor people so that they know that there is a God that wants to help them to pay bills and to put food on their table and to help them to put clothes on their backs and all these other things that are necessary. And all of that takes money. Friends, it's not for the shortage of the outpouring of the Spirit in terms of, you know, the, the later rain happening, but what we really need and when I say we, I mean, I mean the body of Christ. What we need in the local churches, what we need in the body of Christ across the world is money to get more people on board, to send out evangelists, to send out missionaries, to put more pastors on staff, to put youth workers and youth pastors on staff, to have children's church workers and to run programs and initiatives to purchase more buildings, to bring people in so we can run programs 24-7 and have multiple ministries running that are all reaching reaching out with the love of God into the community to get more people saved because Jesus is coming back soon. And when Jesus comes back, as far as salvation is concerned, it's curtains closed. There's no more room for people to get saved once Jesus has returned. Of course, we know that there's two parts to the second coming. There is the rapture of the church, and then there is the physical second coming, and people will get saved in that window of time. But it's going to be very, very difficult for people in the great tribulation because we're not going to be around at that point. But in the meantime, we're reaching out with all of our might. Uh, so God wants to give us money to find the harvest, or rather to fund the harvest of the precious fruit of the earth, which is souls, to bring the church, rather to build the church, and to prepare for the second coming of Christ. I close with this example. Uh, Rainer Bonke, probably one of the greatest evangelists of modern times, uh, he's now a mature man. I think he's in his 70s. Uh, done phenomenal work around the country. Started out in Africa. Uh, then moved on into Europe. And just phenomenal work that's gone on. He made a statement, and I've shared this at various times. It really made an impact on me. Uh, because sometimes people say, oh, you don't really need money. You just need the power of God. You just need this. You just need that. This is what Rainer Bonke said. And he was still in Africa at that time, holding crusades where 
multiple hundreds of thousands of people came to the crusades and he got most of them saved because he's an evangelist he's got the anointing he says give me three dollars for every soul in Africa and I get all of Africa saved so is money uh, to do with salvation absolutely absolutely so let's not call money like bad or ugly or dirty or anything uh, as far as the kingdom of God is concerned we are ready for a you know Drug dealers want to come and drop their money off in the church. I'm happy with that. <laughs> uh, if oppressors want to come and drop their money off in church, I'm happy with that. Because you see, it's unrighteous mammon, well, 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 it's in their hand. But when it transfers and it comes into our hand, it's righteous money. We're going to use it for righteous purposes. If the lottery commission wants to give us money, we will receive it. Are we for gambling? Absolutely not. We're absolutely against gambling. But once money's in our hand, it's no longer gambling money. It's righteous money. We're going to use it for the extension of God's kingdom in the earth. Praise God. And that's where I'm going to leave off. I can see that some of you are getting excited now after, after an hour of preaching. But I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Let's worship God with a song or two. And uh, let's just thank God for once, what he wants to do in these last days. Let God know that we are available to be a channel to transfer wealth into the kingdom of God in these last days. Praise God.